Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's show, I asked Paul Rickard if it's safe to start buying tech stocks for a return, say, later this year or in 2023. Last week, the tech-heavy NASDAQ index was up 8.5% in a week. I then see what Shane Oliver, the chief economist at AMP, is seeing with the latest rebound of the stock market. Has the bottoming process started or is it too early to believe there's not going to be another leg down for stocks? And then I talk to the chief economist at Morgan's, Michael Knox, on will we end up in recession or not? And when will the stock market rally this year or next year? That's an important question, I think. But before that, last week, I looked at the JP Morgan's uh, chief global market strategist, Marco Kolonovic, and his claim that stocks will rebound pretty strongly this year. He's actually suggesting, and his team, and this is a very uh, successful award-winning um, stock picking team uh, on Wall Street. Um, he thinks that the S&P is going to uh, rebound to 4,800, and that's a 27.7% rise by the end of the year. Now, if that happens for the S&P 500, it's got to be good for our stock market as well. Uh, he also thinks that the geopolitical solution in, in the Ukraine with the end of the war there will be a big plus for stocks. He thinks inflation will fall um, and the US will avoid a recession and ultimately a good inflation number and no recession should be good for US company profits. And that means stock prices uh, will rise after being clearly over smashed this year. If this uh, scenario is right, it means interest rates won't have to rise as much in the US and here, which is going to be great for confidence, great for the economy. And I'm really hoping that Marco Kolonovic from JP Morgan is absolutely on the money. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's go now and catch up with Paul Rickard. And joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switch Report. Great to see you, mate. Thanks, Peter. You're looking well. Yeah, on the improve, on the improve. Alison, uh, Paul, um, we saw a fantastic rebound um, in Australia on Friday and stocks are up again today um, in the US market. Quite an extraordinary week. You know, NASDAQ up about 8.5%, um, Dow up over five and whatever. So, so it's been a, a real, do you think this is the, the start of the bottoming process for the market? Look, I think it's probably uh, too early to say that, Pete. I mean, it's encouraging in the US um, and I guess that they've gone harder than Australia and so, uh, when they get to the situation where perhaps they're thinking that the Fed's is, is action is going to be sufficient or at least is aggressive enough, um, and perhaps the chances of recession maybe just increase a little bit. And so bond rates actually started to fall in the US, which you'd have to say is a positive, then that's really what's prompted the, the rebound in the stocks. And I think that it's also come across that you'll note if you look at the Particularly what's happened in, say, for example, the, the, the two-year US Treasury bond, you'll see that's rallied by over half a percent. So some, some fears very early last week that the Fed was really going to be super aggressive uh, in raising interest rates and maybe we're going to see, you know, the next time maybe a percent and all sorts of things. That's very much gone in the space of a few days and the, and the market's rallied. So um, 
I'm not sure we've seen the same in the Australian market, Peter, but we've certainly seen a response to what's going on in the US. And I guess we're still in Australia, still from that position the market is, is maybe our central bank is still behind the eight ball uh, and might still have to go harder because we've been a lot slower to move. And so I guess that's perhaps why our market may not have gone as hard uh, in this sort of little rebound that the US market has done. But we saw US tech stocks really rebound. Is that a sign that you think this is a part of the bottoming process? Well, I think it could be in the US, Peter, and um, I think that's a real positive that we're starting to see that sort of action. Uh, it's not the same sort of action though in Australia. So we had a good day on Friday. Today hasn't been quite as strong in, in the tech area. Uh, and I think that's reflective of my earlier comment about um, perhaps you know, the Reserve Bank here might have to go a bit harder than the, that's been factored in. But look, let's, let's see how it plays out. I think the other sort of unknown in this is that uh, you know, we're at end of quarter in the US, uh, end of financial year in Australia. That often leads to some pretty unusual price action. And maybe that's behind us, Peter, I don't know. But we, we know that a lot of portfolios um, you know, like to sort of clear out some of the non-performers. And that may have been pressing on our market uh, probably harder than it has been in previous years. And so let's just see how that plays out. I think you really have to see how this week trades through to get a good handle on just where the tech sector is headed here in Australia. Paul, if you had to identify any stock or stocks that you think looks like great value, because I, I do think the sell-off has been excessive mm. uh, from a long-term point of view. I can understand it maybe short-term, but from a long-term point of view, what, what stock or stocks do you think really looks like they're in the buy zone? Well, we've had good recovery in some of the... Um, you know, sold off um, sort of what I describe almost like your blue chip type uh, growth stocks, companies like, uh, you know, Seek and REA and, um, you know, a few others in that category. And they, they rallied pretty hard the last, and Goodman Group, they've rallied pretty hard the last week or so. But there's still probably some value in, in companies like uh, Goodman Group if you're a long-term believer in growth. Uh, the stock I pro probably like the most, Peter, at the moment is, is Macquarie Group. Um, it's down about $165. It dropped down to about uh, just below $160 last week, but this was a stock trading very comfortably above $200 uh, before uh, you know, the sort of current onset hit. And uh, if you believe that the economy can grow, there's going to be a little more volatility around, uh, good for sort of corporate activity potentially, uh, and have more opportunities for a company like Macquarie to look at uh, you know, asset management plays, I think you've got to say the outlook looks pretty good if you think the economy can pick up a little bit. So if you're betting on sort of, we aren't heading into recession, um, and I think things, you know, they're looking a bit bleak, but they might start to improve as, as the actions of the, of, of the Fed and others take hold and, and inflation starts to get tamed. I think Macquarie's got a lot of value. Okay. Now, you, you often like big, good quality companies. Let's give you a comment on three. Three that you and I both like, BHP, uh, CSL, and Xero. What, what's your, your current view on them? From the point of view of someone who, if they have not holding these stocks, where, where might they be in a year's time? Well, BHP, I, I see no reason not to uh, not to stay long. Um, and look, we've seen a little bit of weakness in commodity prices. BHP's dropped back, got below forty dollars. 
It's back around, uh, you know, recovered a fair bit the last two days. Now, if you add back the Woodside adjustment, remember Woodside got separated from BHP, it takes the price back to about $47, $48. So BHP really hasn't come down that much, Peter. It's still trading pretty comfortably. Uh, and so I still think that, you know, that we, have, we are in an upswing in commodity prices. Uh, BHP is still pretty well positioned. You can talk about, you know, temporary, you know, the recession fear, just knocking the sale out of commodities, bringing the copper price down. I just see that bit of a correction in the long-term rally. So I think BHP stay long. Second one is zero. I'm still a big fan of zero, Peter. Today up around about $82. Got down to the mid, low 70s last week. And I, I guess that's an example of one of the stocks coming back pretty hard last week. But uh, I still think that's, that's reasonable buying. And CSL not doing a lot. Um, yeah, when the market sort of falls, CSL rallies, the market rallies, CSL goes a bit sideways. Um, my guess on CSL is that as usual, uh, we're going to see a pretty strong earnings report in August. Um, expectations are probably reasonably low. CSL says nothing. They have a history of out-surprising, out if that's such a word. <laughs> oh, surprising on the upside, I should I say, like I think. It. I made it's up a good word. It. Yeah, it's a good word. I think I made that one up. But uh, yeah. look, look, I, I think I'd be long all three stocks. I don't see any reason at the moment to sell any, either, any of those three stocks. Uh, I think they're three great companies and... Uh, three core stocks for my portfolio. One last question. Um, we saw Block have a, a good day Friday. I think it was a little bit over 20%. Yep. Um, and we know the buy now payload group stocks have been really smashed and um, you know um, defamed. Um, do, do you think that is like a sign that eventually when interest rate rises seem to be out of the way, um, the top quality tech companies, the top quality buy now pay now companies, probably will be reassessed as being you know, over smashed. If that, if that's a word. Yeah. Look, it look interesting. There's been almost no reassessment of Zip here. It continues to struggle, um, and um, it it didn't get the bounce that we saw uh, in uh, in Block, uh, and there has been a reasonable bounce, as you say, in some of the US, um, you know, big name companies uh, and, and people like Block in particular, yeah. we haven't seen it flow to the Australian market uh, to any great extent. Sometimes we're just a bit slow. Um, so Zip yeah. is a good company. Uh, I mean, look, a quality, sorry, if you look at that share price it was $12 and got down to about 45 cents. Now there are concerns about Zip as, to, as question mark about whether it pulls out of the UK and the US markets and just this focuses on the Australian market. Uh, I'm not privy to what the internal workings of, of Zip are, but certainly that seems to be the market suggestion. Uh, I don't know why it's still down at the low 50 cents, but it does show you that sentiment is still pretty negative on some of these tech companies. And I guess that's gonna, comes back to where we started this discussion, Peter. Um, look, it'd, it'd be nice, I don't think we've yet seen the sentiment turn around on the Australian tech companies. So I'd see this as more as a correction inside of, you know, a, a lot of pressure on the sell side. But I really want to see, I don't think this is the week to jump in. I think that we're just in this funny week of the 30th of June. It could be that all the sell actions already happened and we're going to see a huge rally as we get to uh, through this week. Uh, it could be that we've got more to come. So I think July will be a better time to assess the, 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 the merits of Australian tech companies. Yeah, I, I do think a lot of people who sell in June will buy back in July. 
but that could well be um, a false dawn. I think we need to see some really solid economic data telling us that inflation won't be as bad as expected and our recession is not coming. If we get that kind of information coming through, Paul, that's when the real bottoming process will kick in and we'll start seeing stocks zoom. And I think that will happen in the December quarter. Keep my fingers crossed. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. And joining us now is AMP Chief Economist, Shane Oliver. Great to see you, Shane. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. I, I, I was reading your notes over the weekend and uh, you know, you, you're kind of uh, tossing up whether this rebound we saw last week was the start of the bottoming process. You, you weren't giving it a full tick. No, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, we've seen a few of these over the last six months where the market would have a bounce and then comes back down and makes a new low. The, the reason I'm a little bit wary of it is that, I mean, we, we haven't necessarily, well, I mean, some of the indicators which would normally say we've seen a market bottom haven't flashed green yet. You know, the VIX index, which is a measure of volatility or investor fear, um, hasn't reached the extremes. We'd often seen at major market bottoms. Um, there's obviously still the concerns about inflation in the US and globally. So the macro picture hasn't changed. And obviously with that, there's still these uncertainties about how much central banks will tighten. So that's why I think it's still a bit premature to say that we've seen a bottom. I mean, stocks have still had a huge fall, so they're better buying than they were back in early January. There's no doubt about that, but we could still have another leg down before we finally make that bottom. Yeah. And I guess the bottom line is on bottoming is that some people get in a little bit early. I guess the question is, do you expect another big leg down or maybe a more measured leg down? And that might be close to capitulation. Well, the way things have been going, it's it's been a more measured downswing that you, you come down a leg, obviously in January, a bit of a bounce, down again, bit of a bounce, down again, bit of a bounce. So I suspect that we're going to see more of that sort of process rather than a, a yeah, a massive leg down. The US share market's already had a 24% fall, uh, which is, you know, takes us into bear market territory. You can easily come down another 5% or so, or maybe even 10%. Um, but in the absence of a new horrible shock, such as uh, substantially higher inflation numbers in the US, which seems unlikely or clear evidence that we've actually gone into recession, then I think the more likely scenario is we have another leg down, maybe another five or 10% from where we are now, because don't forget the market in the US has already bounced about 6% from the bottom. Um, you haven't, say, another 10% down from that gives you a new low, and then hopefully uh, that's it. But these things are always very hard to time, which is why many like the, the old phrase um, of dollar cost averaging. You don't know when the market's going to bottom out, but you do know that it's better value than it was back in January. So you want to start buying in. Um, but impossible to time that. So you just sort of do a little bit each month. Yeah. Um, it seems to me the critical issue is going to be around um, how quickly inflation can fall and that then will determine the interest rate rise story from the Fed and locally. And then that could ultimately determine first up the fear about recession and then the reality of a, of a recession. If you are forced to put your family's total wealth on your best guess, what would that best guess be? 
My best guess is that we've either seen the peak or we're pretty close to it. Uh, and that's based on a little indicator we put together called our inflation pipeline indicator. Uh, it relates to the US because the US will set the direction here. We in Australia are lagging a little bit behind the US. Um, but we look at things like obviously commodity prices. We look at business surveys. So those things they call PMIs, purchasing managers indicators, which are basically surveys of businesses. You obviously get a headline number which relates to economic conditions, but you also get input and output prices and also indications regarding delivery times and work backlogs. And all of those things for the major countries, particularly for the US, Europe and Japan, and even in Australia, look like they're rolling over, that the inflationary pressures might have peaked um, maybe a couple of months ago. And finally, we look at things like um, uh, cargo costs. You know, we all know there was a huge surge in the cost of shipping around the world or air freight and all those sorts of things. Those things also seem to have peaked. So when you combine that into an indicator, it looks like it probably has peaked and is starting to slow down. So I suspect that sometime in the next six months, that'll become more evident in inflation indicators. And that in turn will enable central banks to ease up on the break. Doesn't mean they won't still be raising interest rates, but maybe not as much. Mm. And then as we go into next year at some point, I think they'll be able to start cutting interest rates probably in the second half. But I think that's the key to me. If you get this, these ongoing indications that maybe the inflationary pressures are topping out, uh, starting to come off the boil, then that takes pressure off central banks in time for them to avoid a recession. And is your pipeline indicator ahead of what the statistician will pump out for data like CPI? Well, we like to think it is. It seems to have. It seems to have done a good guide, provided a good guide, not perfect, in picking major cyclical swings in the past. And lately, for the last few months, it's been trending down which you could argue is consistent with some sort of peaking in US inflation, even though you know, everyone knows we saw some uh, shock high numbers for May. Um, the underlying picture looks like it's, it may still be rolling over, even though it's messy. I mean, the problem with all of these things is that the peak could be long and drawn out and it may take a while before the Fed's comfortable uh, that they've actually seen the peak. Um, but the point is that it does seem to be coming off the boil. And when you put that together with signs of slowing in growth, or what you call demand destruction, because people, households are suffering a, a real income hit here as a result of higher costs and um, the impact of higher interest rates, then those sort of things don't, do seem to be pointing towards some sort of slowing in demand um, at a time when supply is picked up, taking pressure off inflation. But the problem central banks face, of course, is that they were too relaxed last year, so they have to appear really strong this year. That's why they're, they're making these tough statements. Um, Powell the other day said he was unconditionally committed to uh, getting inflation down, which of course means that he's going to risk running a, a recession in the US. But I, I don't think he needs to do that. I think ultimately the inflation numbers will improve without them having to go so far as trigger a recession. But obviously the risks are, are, are quite high. Yeah. So if the inflation numbers come off quicker than... The, the most negative people have been predicting um, and a recession is avoided and China, because you, you've also been watching China coming out of lockdown, that keeps on improving. And then we get um, uh, a, a, a possibly a, an end to the Ukraine war between now and say Christmas. That, that could actually be a really big positive shock 
to bring inflation down. And that, that could really stop central banks, um, you know, pressing hard on interest rate rises. That's right. Uh, the one in there where I'm less certain of is the war in Ukraine. Um, but I suspect that all that has to happen in Ukraine is that things get no worse. Yeah. If things get no worse, then oil and commodity prices won't go any higher. They will stay high, but they won't be making additional contributions to the increase in prices. As Governor Lowe in Australia points out, the, the rise in the petrol price over the last 12 months added one percentage point to inflation. If the petrol price just stays where it is, it's still high, we don't like it, but it won't be causing an additional increase to inflation. Um, so if you get that happening, then that starts to take the pressure off. But certainly if those other things happen where I think there's a greater chance and more prepared to take a position on, um, then, yeah, I think that will take pressure off central banks. And the point is they're probably in the short term, you know, the Fed's probably going to increase rates again in July. I think the next meeting is late July, uh, where they'll probably do 75 basis points or maybe 0.5. Um, that'll sound aggressive and maybe the RBA will, will hike 0.5% again next week. But I think somewhere after that, um, you could start to see some, some easing in uh, central bank tightening. You know, they step back to 0.25s, you know, some meetings they don't do anything. And yeah. that, I think, would be taken positively by markets. So I read on the weekend that something like 70% of investors in this particular survey now expect a recession in the US. So it's starting to become the consensus call. Uh, whereas if you start to get some better data uh, on the inflation front um, then and, and central banks, then that would ease some of those pressures and then could enable a, a more sustained rally in share markets, um, even though we might still have another leg down. But you know, into year end, December quarter is normally a positive, particularly after the midterm elections are out of the way, then we can get a decent bounce into year end. Yeah. This might surprise you, but... I was very happy to see that Marco Kolonovic from JP Morgan uh, had a call out there that the S&P 500 will be 27% higher by the end of the year. Now, of course, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but he, he put together all that, 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 that positive scenario that inflation will fall faster than expected, uh, Ukraine war will end, uh, US will avoid recession. I know you, you've always had a positive view that stocks will rebound sometime this year. That's right. I don't think you've been as, as uh, aggressive as 27%. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far as to say 27%, but it's, it's conceivable. I, th I think the other thing that's happening, everyone's talking about a recession and everyone seems convinced that this is like 1980 in the US when Paul Volcker uh, had to throw the US economy to recession twice to get inflation back down. But that was at the end of a 15-year period of very high inflation. So inflation was built into the system. Uh, the University of Michigan in the US surveys US consumers about what they're expected the long-term inflation rate is. That number came out on Friday and it was 3.1%. Yeah. Yes, they expect 6% or so inflation over the next 12 months, but the longer-term number is 3.1%. In 1980, that got as high as 10%. So Paul Volcker faced a far more difficult situation back in 1980 than uh, Powell does today, uh, which gives me some confidence that if the inflation numbers actually start to improve a little bit, demand slows down in the economy a little bit, then the Fed won't have to get as aggressive as Paul Volcker did back in 1980. So therefore, it's not inevitable uh, that we're going to have to have the recession, whereas a lot of people think, well, it's as bad as Paul Volcker faced, therefore we're going to have to have a recession. I, I don't think it's that clear cut. No. And, and look, I think the, the important issue also is, Shane, that everyone seems to be forgetting before the coronavirus 
came, it was nearly impossible to get inflation up. And some of the reason was because of the digital economy and all the competition out there. It's a very different world from the 1980s when it comes to who sets prices and who's got pricing power. That, that's right. Yeah, those things are still there and obviously bearing down on inflation. Some of the things have changed in a negative way. Globalisation is sort of in retreat at present, and that's a bit of a negative. We've got somewhat bigger government, all those sorts of things. But, yeah, you do have a more competitive environment. And even the labour market. Uh, I know there's a lot of concern about wages growth taking off in Australia. But back, back then, we had a highly centralised system, something like 70% of workers were in unions. Today, it's a very decentralised system and the proportion of workers in unions is far less. So the danger of a wage price spiral is a lot less than it was in the 1970s. Um, even though I can understand why Governor Lowe was sort of warning against it um, for obvious reasons, but uh, the environment is just very different to what it was back then. So they, yes, they do face a challenge. They lost credibility because inflation's picked up more than they thought and they were slow in raising interest rates, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's inevitable you're going to have to have a recession to get inflation back under control. There is a scenario there which would enable growth to slow, inflation to come down, and then central banks to get their foot off the brake, um, which would ultimately be a positive one for share markets. Yeah. Thanks, Shane. I, I don't like making excuses for central bankers, but I don't think anyone should have been able to presume what Vladimir Putin was going to do or that China would go back <laughs> into lockdown again. That, that is right. not those, really, really the job. Yeah, of those it. things were, were complete surprises. Uh, I mean, there was always risks on those fronts, but they did catch a lot of people by surprise, including central banks, and then made things a whole lot worse. Uh, so a, as we were running into March, I mean, I thought there was a better chance that you know we were on track to see the mm -hmm. peak in inflation and yeah, some interest rate hikes by the central banks, but nowhere as aggressive as they've had to turn out to be. So that that those events have certainly surprised central banks and and most of us. Yeah, yeah. Shane, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Joining us now is a chief economist at Morgan's, Michael Knox. And I want to ask him the question that most investors are interested in. The first one is, you know, are the central bankers of the world presumably um, knuckleheads who are going to drive us into recession by raising interest rates too high. And secondly, you know, what we're seeing in the stock market, nice rises in the US last week, NASDAQ up about 8.5%. Is this the, the beginning of the, dot, the bottoming process or, or is there probably another significant leg down? Uh, Michael Knox, thanks for joining us. Always great to see you, Peter. Yeah. Now, the first question is meant to be, Naughty, but maybe nice. I don't think the central bank, bankers are knuckleheads, but I somehow, when I read stuff in the in the press, they seem to think that Jerome Powell and Phil Lowe are going to be knuckleheads who are raising interest rates too high and put us into recession. What do you think, Noxie? I think that um, when I do my pod, my own podcast and I put in the title. Um, U.S. recession, uh, I get between twice as many people and five times as many people watching that that particular podcast as to when I don't put it that in the title. Yeah. So could it be, could it be that the reason you're is playing on that line is just because uh, they watch more often if they do. 
Um, I think that uh, what the what the Fed has done in its most recent summary of economic projections uh, after its uh, after its most recent meeting is it's outlined uh, a soft landing that it wants to achieve in the next couple of years. So it says that uh, after very strong growth uh, last year of uh, uh, in the US economy, um, what they think is that this year that growth will fall to around 1.7 and uh, 1.7 the year after that and 1.7 the year after that. And the reason that's interesting is because uh, trend growth rate uh, in the US economy is about 1.9, say. So that's a combination of uh, productivity growth plus, um, uh, plus employment growth. Uh, so that means that they're uh, targeting growth in the US economy just below trend. And that means unemployment gradually rises uh, next year and the year after that and the year after that. And that higher unemployment pushes downward pressure on prices and that brings uh, inflation under control. So I think that's what the Fed is trying to do. And I think Patrick Harker of the um, uh, Philadelphia Fed uh, said that uh, uh, yesterday said that he thought that two and a half percent. I've said I've talked about other uh, Mary um, Barry of the, the um, of the um, San Francisco Fed saying the same thing a couple of uh, you know, some weeks ago. So. Uh, what Patrick Harker was saying was, well, first we'll get to two and a half percent and then we'll take uh, rates up to three percent. And that's pretty reasonable uh, if we've got, uh, you know, the inflation where it is. Uh, in fact, it's still negative real interest rates. So uh, that's what I think the, the Fed is, uh, is so, trying to do. Yeah. So, Noxy, one thing Powell made a point was that a lot of the, a lot of the inflation is stuff he can't control. Ukraine war and oil prices goes China, lockdowns and supply chain problems. If over the course of this second half of this year, the Ukraine war does end and um, China gets more back to normal and out of lockdown, would that then make it easier for central banks to give less interest rate rises, which then would be uh, a very positive thing for stocks? I think what's already happening is that the data that's coming out on the US economy is, is positive. Um, if you look at the most recent Chicago Fed, which uh, National Activity Indicator, which has been um, released in the last week, uh, it's coming at uh, 0.2, that's 0.2 of a standard error above trend. And that, uh, where the previous month it was 0.48, 0.48 meant that there was strong growth and uh, um, uh, in that that was uh, at a higher inflationary level, yeah. but um, point two means that they've actually slowed growth to just uh, just just above trend. And what I think that they're going to do in terms of that indicator is that they're going to target growth between zero and minus point seven for the next few years. That's that's where you're going to get the confirmation. I think that the data just doesn't support a major slump in the US economy right now as it's coming out. 
the the uh, Ukrainian war, uh, I'll leave forecasting wars up to the military experts. Uh, in terms of China, uh, we've already seen a um, uh, a steel production level for the most recent month rise to uh, 93.3 million tonnes, uh, which is a level of uh, steel production in China, which is only 3% lower than uh, the extremely strong levels of this time last year. So I think in terms of the part of the Chinese economy that matters to Australia, I think you've already seen a significant recovery. Okay, Dr. Phil Lowe next week, uh, RBA decision. Do you think you're raised by 0.5? Um, yes, I, I, uh, if I was in his position, I'd do more, but he says that his choice is between 0.5 and 0.25. So I think yes, it'll be uh, it'll be 0.5. Uh, Patrick Harker uh, speaking yesterday um, suggested that the the situation in front of the Fed was between 0.5 and 0.75. So I think uh, I think the Fed might uh, continue to go up by 0.75. But uh, there are more meetings of the RBA than there are of the Fed. For example, the Fed doesn't meet at all in August. So uh, this might be our chance to catch up with the 50 basis point rate in, uh, in August to catch up with what the Fed will have already done in July. And, and my, my view is that even though economists like you and your colleagues around the country are brilliant men and women in their own right, it, it is ultimately guesswork and it's going to be the flow of economic data, isn't it, that's going to determine what Dr. Phil Lowe does and what Jerome Powell does with interest rates. Uh, yes, um, uh, as Mr. Philip Lowe, PhD, uh, has already indicated, uh, they're following the data. Um, uh, he did say, it was very interesting in his commentary last week on inflation, that, uh, that the market had been better at uh, estimating what the uh, RBA was going to do than, uh, than the RBA had been itself, uh, which was, uh, a significant admission, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he has said that um, inflation will be 7% uh, in Australia at the end of this year. Inflation is already uh, 8% uh, in the uh, European Union, uh, as Christine Lagarde was, uh, uh, has been telling us recently. So um, um, We've got, we've got a little bit more room than other countries to put up rates, but we have to put up rates uh, pretty smartly as well. Okay. Um, the stock market. Do you think we're seeing, let's just concentrate on the US because I think the US is going to ultimately determine what happens here. Not, not necessarily the, that we'll follow the magnitude of their rises or their falls, but certainly direction-wise. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can disagree if you want to on that one, but the, the point I'm, I'm seeing is I feel as though there's an attempt of a bottoming process going on now, but I don't think we're ready to take off. Is that a fair take or would you add more to it? Well, the normal pattern in a uh, uh, midterm election year, and this is a midterm election year, is that the market is uh, weak uh, in, the US market is, is weak in May and it's weak in June. It rallies a little bit in July, but then it sells off again in August and September. So I think uh, that we're having a little bit of rally into, uh, into July. 
that uh, you might normally expect uh, election year, but I think it'll sell off again in August and uh, September. But I think by the time we get into that later period, that will be uh, where the true the true bottom will be found and will be tested. And I think uh, what normally then follows is a very strong rally into the uh, midterm election period, which is October and November. Yeah. And I think we'll, uh, after bottoming uh, in August and September, uh, we'll have a very strong rally towards the end of the year. Yeah. And Michael, I have read that, um, and I think it was actually either a Harvard or Yale professor, you might know this, has made the point that a very successful investment strategy has been to, to buy the market um, after the midterm election and stay there till about December 1 of the fourth year. Um, there has been a, a very uh, uh, successful investment strategy. Um, and, I, and I do know that years three and four, of a US presidency is usually pretty good for the stock market. Yes, but I think I think what's happened um, uh, in presentations I've been given, I've been giving, I've been uh, comparing the market to what actually happened in uh, uh, in 12, uh, 2012 and 2013. And if you uh, fall back then, people thought that uh, the European uh, crisis of that time, the European financial crisis, the European debt crisis of that time, was going to generate a uh, European recession in 2012 and 2013. So the market sold off to about 800 points too cheap. Our market sold off to 800 points. And that's, and that's what I think is happening. I think the market is selling off uh, uh, just as in 2012 and 2013, the market was selling off because of the Europe, European recession that was not there. I think we are the uh, the market, both the US and Australian market, have been selling off in response to the US recession that isn't there. Yeah, uh, and I think that um, uh, as we watch that data from, um, for example, the Chicago Fed every month, what we'll see by the time we get through into August and September is that we have soft growth but no recession in the US economy. And I think the, the result of that will be a strong rally after that. Michael, what happens in after years is, is, for, uh, is for more data to reveal, Peter. Michael Knox, thanks for joining us as always. Thank you, Peter. That's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. We're back on Thursday. And the star of Thursday's show is Rudy Philippek Van Dyke from FN Arena. And his tips are always very interesting. If you want to know more about us, go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us.